0: I think it was a couple of months in. We had about 10,000 followers, which at the time was huge for us. Mm. And um, we posted too many naughty photos, <laughs> too many nipples, too much um, body. And Instagram deleted our account. Hey, welcome to Ladyland,
1: a podcast by Lady Brains, where we chat to ambitious women about what it takes to become an overnight success. Huge spoiler alert. The overnight success does not exist. We're your hosts, Caitlin,
2: Anna, and Maver.
1: Now get comfy, fellow lady brains, and ride with us to Ladyland. Let's be frank. If you haven't leathered yourself in some frank body or seen babes all over the internet posing in their bathroom covered in coffee scrub, then you need to go take a peek. With just a pocket full of cash, some ground coffee, and a killer brand – Annex guest, Brie Johnson, along with her business partners, Jess, Alex, and Steve, have managed to build a thriving multi-million dollar beauty biz off the back of just one scrub. How? Well, a playful product range paired with cheeky tone of voice and the ability to truly leverage user-generated content plus so much more. And not only that, the ladies behind Frank also run creative agency Willow & Blake, which they started at just 22. Talk about serial entrepreneurs. We sat down with Bree and learnt that Frank was almost called Piccolo and got the inside scoop on how the team were able to generate an almost 100,000 person waiting list for their long-awaited Shimmer Scrub.
2: What were you kind of like as a child? Have you always been a little bit entrepreneurial or?
0: Oh uh, Yeah, it's an interesting question. I know I don't think I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always been creative. I think as a child, my parents were really great in that they always encouraged me to write and to paint and express myself creatively as much as I could. Mm-hmm. But in entrepreneurial, no. No. I kind of just
2: fell into it. No lemonade stands.
0: No. And I'm like really, that. there's this girl in my street. I've got this house on Brighton Street and there's this little girl who lives across the road from me and she's this absolute girl boss. She's had a lemonade stand. She's actually oh. sold me lemons. She sells me raffle tickets. Mm-hmm. And she always comes to me, to my house, because oh she knows God. that I'm going to buy 10 of whatever she's got. She's a door knocker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she had this lemonade stand the other week, and I bought one. It was dollar, and I gave her $2, and I was like, I'll keep the change. You know, that's oh. a tip. And we went back to my house, and then 10 minutes later, she knocks on the door, and she's like, my mum says I have to give back the dollar. <laughs> oh, so ethical. I know. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I'm teaching you the wrong thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, I no, tell your mum it's a tip. And she's like, no, I have to give it back. Oh, it's for
2: tax. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: But I really like her. She really um, gives me faith in the next
2: generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't your vibe when you were young.
0: No, that wasn't. I was more just in my own world, painting, writing, Mm. not really thinking about business.
2: Yeah, and I think that's fascinating as well, the fact that you've always kind of known that you wanted to write Mm. and you've always loved that and you're still doing that now. Mm. So what was your kind of early career like as a writer?
0: So I studied journalism at Monash and... I thought I wanted to go into working in the glossy publications, you know, yeah. Cleo or Cosmo, and that's where I did all my internships. Mm. But I quickly realised that that wasn't quite the place for me. Mm. Um, I Also, I was really attached to staying in Melbourne. I love the culture here. I love the people here. My family's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was lucky enough to start interning at Broadsheet. Um, mm. Yeah, I got quite nostalgic because I saw the latest print publication the other day and I saw the little ad for the interns and I remember applying for that. And I was very lucky because I was you know, pretty fresh out of uni and Nick and Cece, they really took a chance on me um, and I interned there for about three months before I plucked up the courage to ask for a full-time job. Mm. Um, and at that stage, I'm pretty sure I was the third or the second full-time employee. Oh, wow. So it was so great because I got to work so closely with Nick and Cece and they really took me under their wing and mentored me and taught me so much. And so many of the skills that I use today, everything from people management to editing to writing to how to create good content. And then when um, Rens came on board and learned about advertising and the business side of that, yeah, I'd be forever grateful for them for mm. really taking that chance when I had no idea what I was doing. And mm. that's where I, I guess I
2: got really nurtured in that mm. regard. What kind of made you want to start your own agency? Did you go straight from that into co-founding yeah, so, Will and Blake?
0: Yeah, so we'd started Willow and Blake at about the same time. Um, by that stage, Ari, Jess and myself, we were all working in full-time jobs. So Ari was in at set and Jess was in music at uh, 360 and I was at broadsheet. And we all loved our jobs and I obviously loved working at broadsheet and I learned so much there. But we quickly realised that we didn't really want to work for our bosses. We wanted to be them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that was really special about all of us we had young entrepreneurial bosses and they gave us that freedom to I guess take ownership over our roles and make them what we wanted them to be and we saw an opportunity we were doing a lot of copywriting and a lot of writing in all of our roles and there was no agency that was really focusing on the written word so at the time there's a lot of creative agencies there were a lot of design agencies but there wasn't a lot of copywriting agencies or people focusing on tone of voice And words have always been what I've been passionate about and writing stories and telling people stories. And I remember when I worked in journalism, I always thought that copywriting was, I guess, like the evil side of writing, like the commercial Mm. side. But I quickly realised that copywriting is just as creative Mm. and even more creative Mm. than journalism sometimes. Um, And while I love broadsheet, there's only so many times you can write about Eggs and breakfast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to start going a little bit deeper. You can eat it endlessly. Oh, mm, yeah. yeah. Mm. Exactly, exactly. So we saw an opportunity to create an agency that was really focused on words um, and telling a brand story. Mm. And it was about the same time that social media was just starting to become popular, so we got in, you know, at the right time. Mm. And we started you know with that one small client, which is jelly bean shoes. and we created their whole tone of voice, built their brand and really marketed it through social media. And then from there, we grew. It was a lot of hustle and a lot of lot of hard work, but mm-hmm. really rewarding.
3: So how did you find or how did you build your client base? Was it all through your own networks? Like how did you hustle in the early days?
0: It's pretty old school. We've created a folio and we sent that out to a lot of different agencies, a lot of different businesses. I remember the subject line was coffee writing. What's that? Um, and we just wanted to take people out for a coffee. We said, we'll take you out for coffee. We'll tell you about what we do. We'll show you our work. And we, years later, still got emails with our old folio and like replying to that same subject oh, really? line. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We built up a pretty epic list. And um, <laughs> But it's amazing how many people were willing to take the time to just Mm. have that conversation with us and by talking to people and, I guess, selling ourselves how much work we were able to generate. Mm. And then from there it was a lot of word of mouth. You know, we did guerrilla things. We got all these Mm. stickers printed and we stuck them all around Cremorne, outside um, different businesses and different agencies that we wanted to work with. So we were like, oh, you know, that clothing brand is in there. We'll stick our stickers all around the area. So they must see it when we're walking past. Um, I've never heard that before. Yeah, just little things yeah. um, that I think help. Uh, we threw a couple of parties as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's always a good way to always generate a good way. Yeah. <laughs> Get people drunk. <laughs> Get them drunk. Get drunk, spend money. Ask them for their money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but it was, yeah, it was mainly just hustling and hard work and persistence just mm. constantly. If anyone was starting a business, we would be there. We did a lot of work for free in the early mm. days or at very reduced rates, which was good for us to hone our skills and also to build up that portfolio and show what we could do. And then once we'd proven our proof of concept and proven what we were worth, we were able to put up our prices or when people Mm. came back to us,
2: they'd pay a little bit more. Mm. From Will and Blake, after that you started Frank. Mm. And I think from what I've heard and what I've read – part of the reason you wanted to do that was because you had some limitations with clients not Mm. wanting to be very adventurous or, you know, a little bit risque with their copy Mm. and you wanted to have a go at doing something that was fully yours where you could do whatever you wanted and you didn't need approval. Is that kind of the way it came about? Yeah. It's like an experiment almost?
0: Yeah, definitely. So for us, we cited Frank as a bit of a case study um, for Willow to show what we could do for our clients was also quite serendipitous so there was five co-founders and Frank and Ari Jess and myself had Willem and Blake which was the creative agency specializing in building brands and then Steve my husband or my now husband mm-hmm. his background was in coffee um, so he had these two ladies come into his cafe and ask for the old coffee grinds they told him they were using it as a body exfoliator at the time we were looking for a product that we could market predominantly through social media to that millennial customer mm-hmm. Our other co-founder, Alex, was really interested in e-commerce, specifically Shopify, Um, and we knew the natural skincare market was going to take off. We could see that people were already caring about what they were eating. It made sense they'd start to think about what they were putting in their body. Mm-hmm. So when we started, Frank, we had a few simple missions. We wanted to make natural skincare fun and bring that energy and that sexiness that color cosmetics have and apply that. natural skincare, which traditionally was a little bit more flowery and a little bit softer. We Mm -hmm. wanted to bring that bold kind of edginess to to it. And then secondly, we wanted to reduce a lot of the hyperbole and the exaggeration that was in the skincare market. There was a lot of fluff, a lot of jargon. And as consumers, we were sick of exaggerated claims. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the whole brand name stems from, this concept of let's be frank, let's just be honest, let's be upfront about what the product is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a few different reasons how we got to be frank. A, it's an awesome brand that we're really passionate about and, B, it's a great product. Mm.
3: And how did you come up with the name? I mean, it makes so much sense. Mm. Um, Was it a really hard process? Was it something that just came naturally? Like, (laughs) how did you get there?
0: Well, it it was originally going to be called Piccolo, which is a a little coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so our very first, we have these old scrub packets, the little brown ones, and they have Piccolo written on them, like permanent (laughs) marker. Um, And... You know, that name definitely could have worked. Um, I think sometimes people get really fixated on the name mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they go round and round in circles. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's really more about the brand that you build around it. That's it. It's obviously important to have a great name. Frank came about through me, Ari and Jess. Uh, we actually wanted to give it to another client originally. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, but then they didn't want it and it obviously worked for this so I think it was in the back of our brain right um, and it obviously fit the whole concept of being honest and being transparent it started actually that's how it started It started as a value Frank was one of our Mm. values and then we turned it into the name and the overarching concept and it worked for a number of different reasons it's also a little bit different Mm. coming from a male perspective um, and we decided to personify the brand and personify the product so we could speak to people on a one-on-one basis
2: Mm.
1: so in those early days when Frank's starting to take off but you also have willow and blake how did you split your time between the two and you know work out what are my priorities yeah i guess that's
0: an ongoing issue (laughs) still haven't quite worked that one out um in the early days it's really supply and demand so whatever business needs Mm -hmm. the most attention it gets the most attention um we were still working pretty much full-time on willow and blake and steve and alex are both working full-time in their jobs so a lot of what we did for frank happened after hours mm-hmm. um, we'd finish work and then we'd go back to our apartment which was above one of steve's cafes and we'd make the scrub pack the scrub and send the scrub mm-hmm. um but Ari, jess and myself obviously focused on the marketing mm-hmm. so a lot of that had to happen during the day and this was five years ago when there was no scheduling for social media so we were mm-hmm. posting throughout the day we didn't sleep a lot but we were so happy and we were so excited yeah. because it was working we weren't that tired. Because you could
2: see the results. Exactly. Like, you know, exactly. And back.
0: Yeah. And I think when it's the first few months, yeah, you're
2: on that high where
0: are like, it's all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, don't, I think if we didn't work that hard, it wouldn't have ever gotten <clears throat> to where it is now.
2: Yeah. So what was that like in the first sort of week or month of launching Frank? Like what mm-hmm. kind of strategy was behind it? It was obviously a very big social push. Mm-hmm. But behind the scenes, what was going on? Like mm-hmm. how many influencers did you reach out to? Like what was that process actually like?
0: So when we launched, we it was more of a side project. We didn't know how big this brand or this product was going to get. But we had an idea, obviously, and we had a strategy behind how we'd launch. Yeah, getting people to talk about it was the main thing. And to do that, we had a few different methods. Obviously, social media was where our consumers were playing, so that's where we focused our attention. And education was a huge priority for us. So a lot of our customers, Coffee Scrub then, was a relatively new product. There was no one else doing it in the market. Uh, and so we had to show people what the product would look like. And the way to show people what the product is is to put it on people's bodies. So we started with our own bodies, mm-hmm. taking selfies <laughs> and taking photos of mm-hmm. our legs so people could see the consistency of the product because it's a beautiful texture um, and it's quite visual, which is important for our, our success. We put them on social media and then obviously we started seeding with influential people, so models, makeup artists, people in the natural lawnless space, people with large Instagram followings, and this was completely different back in the day. So we built up a list of hundreds of people uh, and sent the product out. Again, very simple notes, just if you like it, we'd love you to share it with your friends and give us your feedback, and from there we really grew. But the main driver behind the brand was the user-generated content, And once people started to replicate that uh, and post under the hashtag, hashtag the Frank effect, (laughs) that Zoom really started to see that momentum Mm. and the brand really grow really quickly um, when we started getting the organic content coming through from all of the people who were buying it.
2: Mm. And how do you maintain that momentum? As you said, social is very different back in Mm. the day. Things are very different now, but you're still growing, you're still doing really Mm. well. And a lot of the brands that kind of launched on social kind of die Mm. after a few years because the landscape changes and you're obviously Mm -hmm. constantly evolving so how do you maintain that momentum now and keep people talking about the brand that's a great question (laughs) (laughs)
0: um yeah it's something that we talk about a lot and how we remain relevant and how we continue to understand our customer and learning who our consumer is and how they're evolving over the years it's obviously we've grown up and the brand has grown up with us and we've changed slightly but um just always looking at diversifying, keeping ahead of the trends. We've changed our sales channels. So we're predominantly .com for the first two and a half years and then we moved into retail.
2: Mm-hmm. So we went
0: to make a maxima here in Australia, Alter in the US, 4 in the EU, mm-hmm. about 10 bajillion brands in the UK, mm-hmm. Liberty, Selfridges, <laughs> um, Space & K, Urban Outfitters. Oh, yeah. The Hut Group, Skinny Dip, a whole yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So diversifying the channels was really important mm-hmm. to us. Yeah. Um, we knew that dot-com was always going to be our primary driver mm-hmm. and where we wanted to focus our attention, but we didn't want to be reliant just on our dot-com customers. So, having retailers, it's almost like a form of advertising for us as well. It helps to legitimize the brand, uh, to create credibility, and also to reach new customers. Yeah.
3: And what were some of the things that you found really challenging kind of diversifying into retail? Because it's a completely different space to online. Like, How did you come up the learning curve really quickly?
0: Timelines. Timelines are the hardest, hardest. I I guess, the biggest challenge we've had. Being direct to consumer and a startup, we're used to working to our own timelines. Um, And then when you start working with these retailers, you realise how much time it takes to actually get a product onto a shelf Mm. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it um, and that's something that we've been constantly learning over the last five years is the more time you can give yourself the more planning you can do the better prepared you'll be I remember when we got our first order for Sephora we realized that we weren't going to be able to make it in time Um, so we had to hand pack all of the (laughs) products so Um. we had the whole team pretty much doing yeah shifts for quite a few days obviously we got air taskers in to help us as well but Uh, because all the boxes had to be um had to have a translation slip put in them which has all the like it's like 20 different european languages and so you have to get the box get the little slip fold it all up and it was a challenge but it was a real testament to the team of Mm -hmm. how when you when you work together and when you're really excited for something you can make mountains
2: move yeah
0: (laughs) did you have to get retail experts in to help you with that process That is a great question. We did, yes, we Mm. did. Uh, Originally we tried to do it ourselves and then one of the most important key hires that we made was our global sales manager who's actually just moved on, which is really sad but exciting because he's off to a really wonderful new challenge. Mm. But he was incredible and he really, really helped us grow the brand and taught us so much about retail. Um, And obviously now our new retail team is growing very quickly as that becomes more and more important Mm -hmm. to the business. Mm -hmm. And we are looking to bring in people who are experts in their field. So one of the key learnings is that as a founder, you can't do everything. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of people out there who have specialized knowledge. And rather than trying to do things, you're going to save yourself a lot of time and a lot of money if you seek them out and you bring them in-house to help you.
1: Believe it or not, Frank's journey hasn't always been smooth sailing. And like any new business, they've experienced some challenges along the way. We continued our chat by asking Bray about some of her setbacks
0: in the early days. We had a few really key learning lessons very early on in the business. Um, the first one was once we'd launched, my sister is an IP lawyer, and she asked me, we're a coffee one day, and she's like, so do you have the trademark sorted for Frank? It's like, no, 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 we don't. We're only a small business, it's fine, I don't think we really need that. I think once we get a bit bigger... Then we'll look at doing, you know, all that kind of nitty-gritty stuff, getting our shareholders' agreement sorted and getting our trademarks sorted. And she's like, okay, I'll just run a quick search for you and just check. Hmm. So a couple of days later she sends an email. She's like, so someone else already owns the trademark for Frank in your category and this is something you can't ignore. <laughs> but luckily because she was my sister, she got onto it for us and we managed to negotiate with the owner of the brand, and that's why we're now Frank Body instead of just Frank. Originally, oh, right. originally, originally we were Frank. So, yeah, an important key learning early on was that you should make sure
1: Check your trademarks. Your trademark <laughs> is
0: available
2: and yeah. secure it early on. So you were able to negotiate with the trademark owner because there's like a, a loophole where if they agree to allow it to happen, yeah. so you were able to do that. Oh, that's good.
0: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So he'd had it for a few years, but he hadn't actually launched his brand. Right. Um, and so we were lucky in mm. that um, we managed to negotiate um, and we became Frank Body um, and then he could obviously go on and create his brand and just be Frank. Um, yep. And then we would go from there. Right. Um, the second key learning was our social media account. So I think it was a couple of months in we had about 10,000 followers, which at the time was huge for us. Mm. And um, we posted too many naughty photos, <laughs> too many nipples, too much um, body. And Instagram deleted our account. Oh
3: mm. there's nothing you can
0: do about that, right? No. Like you just have to take it. No the tune. Yeah. At, at the time it was devastating. Yeah. Um, looking yeah. back, it was a good key learning, I think. Otherwise we could have got to hundred thousand followers and done the same thing and then Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. learnt. Um
2: blessing in disguise
0: exactly exactly
1: is it it a risk I mean you obviously focused on Instagram quite a bit Mm. and and social media is it a risk having such a refined strategy would you recommend that or would you say to someone you know what just be in case Instagram closes Mm. down your account or a platform doesn't exist next year consider your marketing strategy and, and spread it out what would you advise to people starting up now
0: yeah, definitely. I think it's really important to make sure you capture your followers or your consumers' details and in a way that you can own them. So emails mm. is really the strategy that we focused on, so getting people to sign up to our database because then we have their contact details and we can communicate with them one-on-one rather than something like Instagram or Facebook where the mm. algorithm can change or, yeah, your account can get shut down. It's, it is still quite risky. And is it true that last year you
1: launched um, a new product? I think it was the Shimmer Scrub, mm. and you had ninety thousand people on the wait
0: list. Yeah, yep. So that was a, a big driver, and a big part of that strategy was building that list. And we did never expected the wait list to get to be that big. How it's did huge, you do that? Yeah. What did How you do? Did you? So we did a referral program. It was quite a simple competition. You referred friends. The more friends you referred. higher the prize pool got so the first one was a sticker the second one was slightly better stickers and the third prize was to get the shimmer scrub which no one else had and this was Mm. the first opportunity to get your hands on it when we created this product again we hadn't an idea that it would be really popular but we didn't realize just how popular the shimmer scrub would become kind of went a little bit I hate this word viral (laughs) but it made sense. We really tapped into that glowing, holographic, unicorn phase mm, totally. that, that has just been blowing up Huge. for the last two mm. years. We keep thinking it's going to stop and then it, it doesn't. Mm. <laughs> and our consumers, they love that. You know, they lo- What they love about Frank is that it gives you that instant gratification.
3: Yeah.
0: You use the scrub and your skin immediately feels soft and smooth. Use the shimmer scrub. It feels soft and smooth and you have that beautiful iridescent glow. Mm -hmm. So when we launched the referral program, uh, yeah, people obviously wanted to get to the product. We thought they might just be happy referring a few friends and getting the free sticker, but they all really wanted to get, I think it was had to refer 10 friends or maybe 20 friends, I can't remember exactly, to get to uh, the Shimmer Scrub and that's what everyone was doing and and that's how it it grew so quickly um, because then from there we used that list to create more hype um, mm. Around the product, and we knew that we already had so many people who wanted it. So that it, we and we only had a limited amount, and so we created, I guess, this need or this want and desire. And I want to use the word fear. But, I was going to um, say FOMO. Yeah, yeah. FOMO. Totally, yeah. Exactly. FOMO. <laughs> yeah. That it was going to sell out, and you wouldn't get your hands on it. Yep. So when it did sell out, we kept the waiting list going. Mm. Um, and what was good. well not good, good and bad, was that it sold out, but there was still all this hype Demand? going. Totally, in. So all yeah. these influencers still posting about it, all this media was still talking about it, and we originally weren't going to bring it back. It was limited edition. Mm. But we just were like, oh, we'll keep the wait list up and we'll see yeah. how we go. And then by the time we managed to make more product, it had grown, yeah, nearly 100,000. It
1: it's insane. insane. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. And really playful too, which I think mm. is a beautiful reflection of the brand and the yeah. business you know you had that wanting to get to the next level mm-hmm. the stickers and the sharing and yeah, the yeah. and the product yeah you know it's all really
0: beautifully playful yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. um that was one of our whole missions was to make natural skincare fun mm-hmm. and so like being the most fun you have in the bathroom is I guess that overarching I- idea of the brand that resonates throughout all things that we do we want mm-hmm. when people play with our products when they go to our website when they go to our social pages we want them to smile we want them to have fun you know, we make skincare, we're not, it's not a serious brand. Mm-hmm. We make seriously
2: good skincare, mm-hmm. but we don't take ourselves too seriously. We like mm. to have fun. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about the marketing and the things mm. that people can see and the Instagram strategy yep. and tone of voice, which are all kind of really important mm. to the overall effect of the brand. I want to talk about the product development side mm. of things a bit. Yeah. What's that process like? How do you go about that? And how has it changed from the start to where you are now?
0: Yeah, of course. So we have um, quite a straightforward product development or product philosophy. All our products are natural and naturally derived. They all have coffee in them and... They all tested on babes, not bunnies. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything we do, it has to be really fun, as I said before, but it also has to be really effective. Um, and we reverse engineer a lot of our products. So we talk to our customers, we do a lot of surveys, we talk to them on social media. Our customer experience team um, are really pivotal in helping us correlate all that information and work out exactly what our customers want. Obviously, we also look at the trends and what's happening in fashion and on Instagram and in magazines and what people are really, what they're looking for. Jess and myself and the boys, Steve and Alex, are all really involved in product development and then we work really closely with our manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So we put together the brief for what we want and then they come back to us with prototypes and we utilise the whole office uh, to do our product testing, which Mm -hmm. is always quite... (laughs) <laughs> Hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming back with all of the different selfies. Um, we had one product which was an early iteration of the anti-drama mask which just launched a few weeks ago uh, and it was a pink mask and we had this obsession with making the mask really, really pink. Mm. And so we did all these things like we use pink clay, we use Australian clay. Mm-hmm. We ended up putting beetroot extract mm-hmm. into the mask and um, we are putting it on and I'm like, I go quite red when I use a clay mask. <laughs> Because my skin is really sensitive. Yeah. But I, it just wasn't going down. It's just oh, no. staying red. Stained. Oh no. I'm like, why? What is wrong? Like, I've had an allergic reaction. But no, yeah, we'd actually, I'd actually stayed. my Your skin. face. Oh, oh no. <laughs> The beach tree. Approved. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Straight to the shelf. <laughs>
0: exactly. So when we say tested on babes, we, we mean ourselves. Yep. Um, and the process it can take you know the um, anti-makeup cleansing oil took over two years to make yeah um, because making a natural product act in the way that a synthetic product does is is really challenging we can't just put a surfaction in there or a peg we have to find a natural alternative that's as effective and that can take a long time mm-hmm. um, we're also really lucky in our team 25 Diverse people downstairs, and so they all have different opinions, mm. um, and that's always awesome because it means we have a lot of debate, and, and we we won't uh, sacrifice our quality, yeah. um, we won't sacrifice on our ingredient philosophy, um, but ultimately we end up with a really great product.
2: Mm. And what do you think has been the biggest challenge for you with product development?
0: There's always challenges. I think <laughs> 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 it's always time. Um, yeah. It's mm. it's wanting things. Coming up up with an idea, and I guess one of the challenges we have is that because we don't come from a a beauty background, we come from a creative background. So Mm. we come up with this idea, I want a face mask that does this, Mm. but actually making that happen is a whole other challenge. Mm. Um, And so as creative as you can be with the limitations of being natural, of being made here in Australia, we can't do everything that we want to do, Mm. Um, and so we have to find that balance between the fun, creative side of us and the actual practical making a product that does what it says it's going to do side. So, like, for example, we'd never, like, when we want to make a pink mask, we're like, there's no point in making a mask that looks really pretty that doesn't do what it's supposed to. Sure. It has to be efficacy first before the fun, creative branding Mm -hmm. side. Um, And then, yeah, timelines. So, as I said, Mm -hmm. everything takes longer than you think it's going to take, from packaging to product to shipping it all our products are made in australia and and now we have the challenge of shipping them all overseas so getting however many units stuck from here to sephora to Ulta, yeah. and um, we have an amazing amazing team who do all well our demand planning and our forecasting mm. um, and that's been a huge challenge for the business is learning how to forecast mm-hmm. and think ahead so that we don't have to air freight because um, yeah. that just ruins our gross margins yeah <laughs>
2: Look, they're all pretty, like, common challenges, I yeah, guess, across definitely. beauty brands, whether 100%. you're a few years old or you're 100 years old. Mm. Like, <laughs> a lot of the challenges mm. we had at L'Oreal as well was this same sort of thing, like, you know, air freights and you'd have to mm. get it signed off and it was like you'd have to go to the really big boss <laughs> to get it signed off. Not fun. I know. It's
0: always, especially, yeah, especially with retailers, especially with marketing and it's a constant mm. battle. You're like, mm. oh, but for long lead media, I need to send them products yeah. you know six months, three months ahead mm-hmm. of time, like, I don't have any product to
2: send you. Yep. Sorry. Yeah,
0: Sorry. You can have this tester. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: this sample. <laughs> this sample that I've used. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, and at what point did
3: you go out and seek manufacturing partnerships and, like, stop making the product yourself? At what point in the business journey did that happen? And was that hard? Like, how did you go about that?
0: Yeah, that was really early on. So mm. we made the product by hand for the first, oh God, too much, too long <laughs> 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 over the first six months but i remember we we're coming up to christmas mm. and as you guys would know in in the beauty world christmas and holidays is huge mm. and we actually won't, we won't make it we physically can't mm. manufacture enough product to meet the holiday demand it took us a long time to find the right manufacturer we looked overseas we went to china we got samples back and the quality just mm. wasn't there So we were really lucky. We found a local manufacturer who's worked with us for the last five years and grown with us and, yeah, been really pivotal part of the business. Mm.
3: And have you lent on their expertise quite heavily throughout the product development process?
0: Yeah, we have. It's always been a collaborative process. Um, We are control freaks, (laughs) to put it subtly. Um, But definitely, yeah, they've worked with us really closely on coming up with what products we should make and how they should function and, yeah, helping us get to where we are now. Mm.
1: Yeah, I find that interesting the whole onshore, offshore. Like Mm. we've spoken to a few people that have looked all around the world for a manufacturer but have come back to Australia Mm. because they know the quality. You know, obviously you can speak to them real time, you know,
0: your time. Yeah, it's interesting. It is, and I think Australian beauty is really having a moment Mm -hmm. at the moment and is just going to continue to get bigger and bigger Uh, we're seeing it all over the world people are really respecting australian ingredients Mm -hmm. respecting australian made it does it's that sign of Mm -hmm. quality and we're pretty lucky that we have really high standards when it comes Mm -hmm. to how we make our products and what ingredients we use Mm -hmm. and particularly with natural skincare i think we're quite progressed in that regard yeah Mm -hmm. we have a better understanding of it and something that australians really value yeah, definitely.
2: I heard on a random podcast a while ago that apparently Australia has the most patents for natural beauty formulas. Amazing. That
0: doesn't surprise me. Mm. Yeah, I, that would make sense. Yeah. Thanks, Man. That's great. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. That's so interesting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what has kind of been your biggest pinch me moment on this journey?
0: Seeing Frank on the windows at Mecca was a huge moment for us. That's always been a, a brand and a retailer that we've loved and gone and shopped at and mm. really respected and Joe and Marita are both incredible, incredible w- women who really inspire all of us, but particularly me and jess mm. um, and seeing you know this little brand that we built all over the windows. we have a whole gondola that was. The first time we'd seen Frank, I guess in real life, yeah, mm-hmm. and being able to see customers actually interacting with the brand. And even when I go in today and I start see people buying it off the shelves, I'm still like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <Is> someone buying <laughs> the product. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something you don't get through dot com. You know, you yeah. don't get, ever get to see them. You just see them and click check out. And yeah. Like, oh, okay. mm-hmm. But actually being able to see them in a shop, pick up the product, read the packaging, smell it, touch it, feel it—that's rewarding. Mm -hmm. Likewise, uh, we went to Paris earlier this year, I went to the Champs-de-Lacay and saw our brand there in Sephora, which is one of the busiest beauty retailers, Mm. the best beauty retailers in in Mm. the world. And that was a huge pinch me moment. I think it was three and a half years ago, we went on director's retreat in Paris and we went and visited that store. And that was always one of our bucket list, like what if, Mm. and and now that's happened, which is huge for us and crazy. Likewise, seeing our pop-up shop earlier this year was wonderful. I think I just love connecting with our consumers mm. and getting mm. that chance to really talk to them one-on-one, spending so much time on the internet and being such a digitally-focused brand. It's so mm. rewarding for me to actually see people interact with the product and talk to them and understand who they are. But, yeah, as well, the biggest pinch-me moments that are sometimes just in the office when I walk in and there's a whole team having a brainstorm I'm like oh my god, and they're getting so proud to see the team growing mm. and interacting. Opening our New York office—that was mm. huge Very as exciting. well. Very good. We've got an incredible team of five women over there who are mm. kicking some serious goals. Just being able to say our New York office. <laughs> <laughs> By New York office, I mean a little tiny we work.
3: <laughs> still, still, <laughs> still, still counts. counts.
0: Still counts.
2: Still counts. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, so there's lots of pinch me moments. Yeah. But they're the most rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. And there's also the awards. Jess and myself have been lucky enough Mm. to win. They're also pretty cool. Who inspires you? Lots of people. I guess I'm lucky enough to be inspired by the people I work with every day. So my co-founders, Steve and Alex and Jess, they're all so, so different, um, but so incredible in so many different ways. And we all think very differently. um, And we've gone through some real lows together, but also some massive highs and- they're what kind of keep me going and what inspire me on a day-to-day basis. I'm really lucky. We have a young team. They're super energetic and their brains are so creative um, and coming to work every day is obviously sometimes stressful, but when we're working together a team, that, that's what really inspires me and gets me going. What makes you happy? Morning walks with my Douglas. He's a little
2: border terrier. Cute. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got a dog. She better mention the
0: dog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cups of tea that my husband makes me, long lunches with my girlfriends, talking about things that really matter and having proper conversations mm. in real life, mm. a good book, sunshine, plants that aren't dying. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Very specific. I have to go water my plants. Don't come to my house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, and pan-fried pork dumplings. Oh, yum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um And lastly, what is next for you? Ooh, it's a great question. Um, there's still a lot more to come at Frank and at Willow and Blake. Uh, this is still just the beginning of this brand. A lot more products, a lot more retail, a lot more team members and – potentially maybe our own shop one day I think would be fun. For Willow, we've recently become a full-service agency, so now we do everything from naming to design to branding to social media, Um, and there's a lot more growing for that business to do and potentially more overseas offices. Cool. Very exciting. exciting. Can't wait to
2: watch.
1: Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, lady.brains, and head over to ladybrains.com.au to find out more about our events and other cool things that are happening.